0: Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be talking about the OKC Thunder's latest game against the Detroit Pistons. What we saw from that one, an interesting call up in Jalen Horde in the new tank battle that has emerged. Also, I want to talk about the Oklahoma City Blue and their current status. Their season has officially ended. They are out of the playoff picture. So I'll be discussing that and kind of what is next for the franchise moving forward. And I want to wrap it all off with a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. So you do not want to miss out on that. But starting things out here first with the thunder matching up against the Detroit Pistons. I for one normally do not uh, make it to Thunder games, you know, because of like driving and just the time in general. It's hard to make them. I was able to attend this one. Fun matchup. Um, you know, kind of just like usual what we've seen the last like week or two. OKC is throwing a ton of just G League lineups out there almost where everyone you see has at some point played for the Oklahoma City Blue. And for the other sides, they've started to counter this. You know, we saw the Orlando Magic play Digas and Schofield, just insane minutes. In this one, you saw them field a couple of their starters, I'll, I'll give it to them, but mainly just G League guys. So that's the sort of action that you were expecting coming into this one. And, you know, the game itself was entertaining, but, you know, you didn't see that uh, typical core, of course. One fun thing, though, going into the game, Cade Cunningham was activated. So Detroit had a solid starting unit. They had Killian Hayes and Cade Cunningham to go along with Isaiah Livers, Sadiq Bay, and Isaiah Stort for OKC. They ended up having Maladon and Kredge as that one and two, Aaron Wiggins at the three, Jalen Horde at the four, and Isaiah Roby at the five. And when you first look at this, Probably wondering, like, why is Jalen Horde the starting unit, and why is he on the team? Well, he got signed a few hours before the tip-off in this one. I would imagine that Horde knew before Thursday that he would be signed to a 10-day deal because he did not play uh, in either the back-to-back games against Iowa that was in Iowa. So I'm assuming he stayed in Oklahoma City. They had to get some paperwork done, and obviously they shifted him back up because he was removed from the blue actually on thursday game was on friday so that's kind of how you get the schedules aligned here but horde was able to uh, get called up for this and due to poku being out with the flu they needed a player like they literally only had seven you need eight to play in the game so horde becomes the power forward and just due to not having any real bigs just by committee that's your starting power forward and you know it, it did wonders actually to begin this game and Obviously, Cade had a really good welcome back to the state. Number one pick out of OSU. A lot of hype surrounding him, so he got his little applause. But as soon as the jump ball went off, this was a tight game. It didn't matter if Detroit was running you know, three of their starters, and with Killian Hayes, really four of them. Oklahoma City was pulling their own weight, and what you saw was just kind of lead change after lead change here in the first quarter, then... You started to see OKC break away a little bit going into the mid portion, really the mid to late portion of the first quarter. Isaiah Roby was doing a really good job on cuts. You just really couldn't get much action from Stort here. So he was slicing to the basket. Vic Crudgy was going to the rack, picking up fouls. Went on a mini run here to actually put themselves up seven at their highest point in the first it did get whittled down in the closing moments of the frame. Only was a twenty-one to twenty game after one frame, and Detroit actually was the one winning here. But yeah, this was an impressive showing, at least in terms of staying at it on both ends. And you know, when you're looking at the shot chart, it really isn't pretty for either side. Like Detroit shot thirty point eight percent in the first quarter, and OKC shot twenty seven point eight, but you know, you you do have some good things to take away at least here. They went 8 of 12 at the free throw line. So, attacking the rack was where they found the successful formula, and it was a successful formula for Roby. He ended up with 8 points and 4 rebounds through one quarter, and that's kind of who they were playing through. Jalen Horde, though, was a fun player to watch to open the game. I mean... Coming fresh off that hardship deal, you want to prove yourself. And he did just that. He was able to get inside for the first points of this game, actually. And then about five, six minutes into it, he shot a three ball and he hit it. If you don't know, I mean, Horde is not a three point shooter. If you're looking for a guy to hit a three, on the Thunder organization or even the Blue organization, Jalen Horde's going to be like in the bottom three of that list. He simply does not take them. And when he does, he's not an accurate shooter. You know, he's like a career 20, 28% from three or something like that. And that might even be generous. You know, with the Blue this year, he hasn't been able to hit them. So to see him space it out a little bit was very beautiful. And the scouting report on him, I don't even know if they had one. They weren't playing up on him, and he made him pay in that brief moment. So I was very happy about that. Vit crunchy to open the game. He had four points, or excuse me, he only had one point. And he got at the line, but he had about like three or four jump passes in the frame where he went baseline, got kind of got stuffed at like the the rim, and just like hanged up in the air for a little bit to make a secure pass, and had a couple beautiful dump offs in there. But yeah, like you know, close action, I'd say, through 12 minutes, anyone's game. Had some positives though for OKC, even though they only managed to muster up 20 points. And once you jumped into the second quarter, this is when Dwayne Casey kind of threw his cards on the table. Cade Cunningham got to play. Isaiah Stewart got to play. Sadiq Bey got to play. And they all did so for like seven or eight minutes in the first. Plug was pulled. And that's when you got to see Detroit's legit rotation, which basically consisted of Livers and Hayes in that starting group, and then guys like Sabin Lee, Frank Jackson, Jamarco Pickett, and Braxton Key, who they signed to a 10-day deal not too long ago either. So it was just a battle of benches really trying to get the experimentation out on some of them like in an NBA game. And it made for some interesting action actually. High scoring second quarter here. Detroit ended up taking this one 34 to 32. But there were some good moments for OKC. And the big one came from Lindy Waters, actually. He didn't play much in the first quarter. He got to play the entirety of the second. And he dropped 13 points. Five of eight from three. Or excuse me, five of eight in all, and three of six from distance. I had a comment at halftime on Twitter. I said like, you know, comparisons of Oklahoma State players. Cade Cunningham, two points. Lindy Waters, thirteen. Lindy is better than Cade? Question mark. Social media is hard to portray like sarcasm, and people actually thought I was being serious, which is something that I think is pretty interesting, man. It's like, are you kidding me? You know, obviously Cade Cunningham is the better of the two, but. Wow, um, like we not connecting the dots there, you know? Like I was trying to be sarcastic, it fell extremely flat. I just thought that was great though. Like <laughs> it was a it was a cool cool little moment I had there. I was like, wow, yeah, this really didn't didn't go the way I like to. And for the tanking camp in the first half, probably didn't go as great as you would have wished. Three point game for the Pistons. So yes, you are trailing, but. OKC, you know, they were down over, you know, double digits actually in this second quarter. They made a really good rally cry in the final three minutes to kind of get that back down to, you know, just one possession there. But yeah, at their highest, they were actually on like a commanding lead. They were leading by as high as 14 points with just four minutes to go. And it just got chipped just like that. Lenny Waters is the main guy to kind of place that on. He had two back-to-back threes in the final minute. Kind of had those uh, fatal blows to actually cut it to one point there. But going into the third quarter, still kind of the same rotations where you're talking our bench versus your bench. And for Detroit, it was the time for their backcourt. Killian Hayes, he had four points in the frame. But I really want to talk about Frank Jackson. He had nine points in the third quarter, did so on three of six shooting, two of two from the foul line. And, you know, with him, even when he was in in training camp with OKC and and prior to that point, he's kind of like that microwave, you know, when I've compared players to him, I think the best comparison G League wise I have to Frank Jackson is like a Rob Edwards or something. You're not going to expect good outputs from them every single night. You know, you might get a good one every three or four games. Maybe not one out of every two. And I would say, yeah, if you were leaning every three or four games, that that's probably where, where you're talking here. But Jackson was able to turn it on. He did a great job in the mid-range. And it was a problem for the Thunder, you know, having him and, and Hayes kind of combining there. The big issue, though, came on the offensive side. So they give up 28 points. It's whatever, right? Like, typically you're you're averaging over twenty five points in a quarter. OKC, until the final minute, was on the front doorstep of tying their franchise worst in terms of points in a quarter. And I believe the worst they've ever done is seven points, and they they cleared that one. But they were stuck at about nine points in the third quarter until the final two minutes. Then they started getting it going. They got two more shots, and they got 14 on the quarter. But it was a very hard time getting to that point. They shot 5 of 22, two 2 of 11 from 3, and they barely even touched the free throw line. Nobody scored more than one basket during the third quarter. Literally no options. Aaron Wiggins, 1 of 6. Horde, 1 of 4. Roby, 0 of 2. Crudgy, 1 of 3. Maladon, 1 of 5. Like, the list just continues. They played basically every single person they could have in this quarter. The only man who didn't get any run was Jeremiah Robinson Earl. And, you know, that's kind of where you start to see that table turn a little bit into the Pistons' direction. So, they walked into the fourth quarter with a pretty solid double-digit lead. At one point, they were up 22 in the third quarter, finished with an 83-66 to lead, which is still 17 points, so they were in tip-top shape heading into quarter number four, and the one thing with this game, you know, the second quarter showed it, but those double-digit leads could get worn down in a heartbeat, OKC almost had a double-digit lead in that first quarter, and the runs just killed him you know neither side here was playing at an efficient enough level and that's kind of what the killer killer part of this game ended up being but in the fourth there was that large cushion for Detroit and they just kept leaning on their backcourt Killian he was getting to the paint Frank Jackson was still staying outside that's about all they needed there they stayed afloat now That doesn't mean that everything was safe and sound. Like Inside the final two minutes, OKC had actually cut it inside 10 points. It was a 7-point game with about 50 seconds to go. But the clock was just not there for the Thunder. Detroit, they just kept force-feeding the guards, and that's about all they needed. So even though this was a bit of an ugly one, Detroit takes the win, and it moves the Tankathon rankings immensely. Goes from a two-game deficit to a a half-a-game race for third and reverse standings. This is huge. OKC's button on the doorstep. They had the shot against the Orlando Magic a couple weeks ago. Couldn't get it done. They get a second shot here against Detroit, and now they do so. So I'm going to be talking about the draft rankings, and I'm going to be talking about some of the moments from this game, but first... I want to let you guys know about my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook and the special offer they have going on for you all. College Hoops fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your team's biggest victory into your own big win. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join the College Hoops action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot of a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like who will make it to the next round and who will hit the most three pointers. Then, track your results. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any college hoops team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus age requirement, restrictions apply. See show notes for details moving on though guys want to talk about kind of the breakdown of this game obviously the tank implications might as well start here talking the player stats though i mean when you were talking the battle of benches this is the prime example of it the pistons even though yes technically they did play three traditional starters in Cunningham Bay and Stort, it was nothing more than just waving high and waving goodbye and truthfully you know they were probably the the worst guys out there on the court tonight or last night you know like Cade only had two points Stort had two points Bay had three points there wasn't really a big impact for either of them and this is the opening portion of the game where you're kind of just alternating buckets so they weren't part of anything significant here kind of just got there you know a little bit of run in to make silver quit watching the TV and you know they thought they'd be good until the the final horn but ultimately they still won the game though and it's because they had magnificent guard play and in general you know they had a decent game they shot 43 percent from the floor 83 percent from the foul line and 31 percent from distance. But they had a really good tandem in Killian Hayes and Frank Jackson. Hayes is not a three-point shooter. When he was coming out of the draft, that was the known thing. He was a very crafty combo guard, amazing passing ability, very raw as a shooter. It's projected at the next level. He hasn't been a very good one. He wasn't a good one on Friday night. Just shot two of nine from distance. But he finished the game 12 of 25 in all so he was just charging at the rack didn't get to the foul line but he got some shots to go down picked up 26 points seven rebounds eight assists and five steals on the game played 40 minutes to get there and for frank jackson off the bench he was able to provide some much needed help he also had 26 points shot seven of 16 four of 10 from three and eight of eight from the charity stripe just like his days in a thunder jersey which lasted about a week just put him in the right corner if he's open he'll shoot it likely will make it and if he's not just posted up in the corner you know if you find him at the wing he can still create for himself there were a couple baseline jumpers where i'm like yeah i remember seeing that against the san antonio spurs like Over a year ago now, you know, I'm still kind of a little bit lost in that whole training camp process they had uh, last season, but it's really nothing to get hurt over. You know, Frank Jackson's a good player, 26 points tonight, of course, but, you know, is he going to be altering? Probably not. You know, Trey Mann is a much better version of Frank Jackson. They basically have the same role and Trey Mann is younger and he's on his first year of likely four before he gets that extension so no hard feelings jackson's in a really good place in detroit because they do have the minutes for him and they allow him to kind of have some mistakes where you know if he has a bad night he's still gonna have the minutes going into the next one so those were the two main ones to look at isaiah livers posted a double double he had 17 points and 11 rebounds then you get down to the other bench members Jamarco Pickett at 13 points, Saban Lee had 11 points to go along with 12 assists, and Braxton Key, straight from the Delaware Bluecoats, had 10 points and 9 rebounds, he did foul out of the game though, and he didn't have an amazing game, I would say, but you know, uh, it kind of is what it is you know like everybody was a little bit off here you didn't have quarters where they were barely shooting above 30 percent, so you got to have some lenience and they haven't been on the court that much in NBA games so it, it, yeah that that's kind of my take on it and with Sabin Lee you know he has been basically the MVP of the G League when he does play he'll be dropping 40 point games he does a great job assisting and then The Pistons just haven't played him enough. This was one where, due to Cade not playing, due to some other guys not playing, he got to run the half court. And he is an amazing passer, really good playmaker. Him posting a double-double here is something that you might take with a a little bit of a grain of salt because the competition. But I do think he's a very skilled player when it comes to driving inside and kind of hitting the open man but that's kind of what you had with the Pistons well-rounded effort kind of centralized with those two guards just profusely attacking the rack and for OKC it wasn't much different Teo Maladon was the main man on the night he had 28 points six rebounds and six assists went 10 of 22 from the floor and three of eight from distance kind of touted that up at the line He he went five of seven there but this really was just Another day in the life of Teo Maladone. When people aren't able to field minutes, someone has to get the stats. And Teo harvests them all. You look at last year, he had a really good rookie campaign on paper to close things out. And I say it's on paper, it was good in general. You know, there were a lot of bright moments. He went into this season, expected to be a six man. And nobody really batted an eye. Like, he did a great job shooting the three ball. When we got to see him work in the half court, he was very good when it came to cross-court passes and even some of the interior finishes he had. But this year, he just hasn't been able to get it going. You know, he lost the point guard battle. Ty Jerome easily had him beat, and he had to go to the blue. But now with everybody gone, he's back to being the starter. He's back to being at the helm, and he has been producing just getting right back into his game of slashing to the basket. you know 28 points is no joke for him and even the assists are are very well suited I think the big thing though is what he did around the basket he went 7 of 14 on twos and you know when you get to the final moments of the game where you're up 20 points you can kind of slip away a little bit especially when you're a team that just doesn't have a center their only center on the game was Isaiah Stewart already mentioned it he played for all of eight minutes so now you're looking at guys like isaiah livers of braxton key to play there they're never gonna play center you know on a any given night they're not playing center they're power forwards and even small forwards in some instances they had to move up it's an awkward scenario teo took advantage by just getting around the basket and he's the reason that you saw this one get close uh, by the back end of the game, just because his attacks were just so often and really deadly too because he was not missing a beat when he got to the cup. Same can be said with Jalen Horde as well. The whole story with him going in this game was just awesome. I mean, I already mentioned it, but he's been playing for the blue basically all season. He had like one 10-day deal. With the Thunder, when they had to sign players, he was one of about four 10 day contract signees. He didn't really stick around past that point, and he kind of fell off the grid a little bit, you know? Like, two way player last season. This year, not much run. They have the power forward spot kind of patched up a little bit. So, yeah, he was running at the G League uh, ranks, and he was very impressive these last two months with the team. DJ Wilson. He signed with the Raptors in the back end of February, middle of the 10-day deal, had a knee injury, season ender, and OKC had no starting center. Jalen Horde had to move up. And he, you know, had his his trials, right? Like he wasn't amazing, but by the end of it, he was a sturdy center option. He averaged about 16 points and 10 rebounds in his last 10 games coming into Uh, this thunder meeting and he slid right in you know he's already been ingrained in the system and everything but basically he just had to be an energy guy he had to go for every loose ball and he did that he was fighting for another shot in this game and he was able to get into some accolades here in the midst of it so he got 11 points on the game and then he got 20 rebounds I did not think he had 20 rebounds watching this game live. If you go to the Paycom Center, unless you're sitting at the media row or you have one of the monitors right next to you, you don't get to see individual player stats. You'll see points and you'll see fouls. You don't see rebounds, you don't see assists, you don't see, you know, shooting percentages. It's about as, you know, clean cut as it gets. Just what you need to know in the current moment. When you looked at the website though, You saw those rebounds pile up, and I had to double check. I checked the box score from NBA.com first, and I was like, there is no way this guy had 20 rebounds. Check another site. Yep, he had 20 rebounds. I can't say I'm surprised. I mean, he did play upwards of 40 minutes in this game, but my gosh, man, that is the most rebounds we've seen from a Thunder player this season. The last time someone's had over 20 rebounds actually came a year ago, Moses Brown tied the franchise record with 23, did it against the Boston Celtics, but yeah, I was uh, very happy to see Horde back on his feet, and this once again just shows like the G League is legitimate, I get it, this wasn't like a playoff type game, the stakes weren't extremely high here, but he still made a very solid impact, and I would say he outplayed a good number of Thunder players in this one, and even some Pistons guys who are inked to standard contracts. He's going to have minutes going into the next game. And, you know, even if Poku is back, he'll still be probably getting 15 to 20 minutes. If he's not there, you'll probably see him drop another 30 minute game. And I expect to see more energy from him. I mean, every single loose ball, every time the ball hit iron, he somehow got in the mix there and he did it without getting really into foul trouble whatsoever. He only had one foul in the game, and you know, only one guy on the Thunder Group didn't have a foul. That was Jeremiah Robinson Earl. So he kept it, you know, fairly minimal in terms of getting like over-aggressive, but he got the job done. Finished with six offensive rebounds, and some of those did translate to second chance points. So I was very, very pleased. I hope he gets to continue to play and keep him in the starting unit, you know? Get him a a second shot at the NBA. He's been right on the cusp again. And for the Thunder, even if you don't keep him, those are minutes that you can kind of divvy up. If you lose the games, ping pong balls continue to rattle your way and you go about your business. But Horde arguably was one of the top players, if not the top player in the game, just due to the circumstances he had to deal with. Lindy Waters and Roby also did well, though. Lindy had 16 points in 23 minutes. Roby had 16 and nine. Obviously with no stort, Pistons were just heavily undersized and he made sure to make the most of it. He had one driving dunk in this game. It was the dunk of the game where he got the ball, maybe a step or two inside the free throw line, just soared and threw down a left-handed hammer. Amazing dunk from him. I think it was great though because there were about three guys that could have been posterized by Roby on this dunk. They just parted like the Red Sea. They let him get the two points and they just kept playing. Business decision from all of them. I get it. I just thought that was a, a bit of a funny one where, you know, uh, the physicality just was not there on, on that type of play for them. But. Yeah, Roby did a a solid job. Olivier Saar, he had 11 points and 5 rebounds in the game. And then you had a couple of others. You know, Crudgy, he was a bit underwhelming. He had 7 points and 4 turnovers on the game. And then Aaron Wiggins, he laid an egg shooting 3 of 10. But, don't matter. Turn around, you're going to play the Phoenix Suns, I guess tonight now, technically. And they're not going to have a lot of their guys. Devin Booker's not expected to play. Chris Paul's injured. DeAndre Ayton's going to be kind of out of the, the picture. But they'll still field a lot of their bench guys. And for a contender, your bench guys are pretty damn good. So we'll see how it goes. I'm sure they're still probably the betting favorites here. Could make for a very entertaining game, though. And for 14 former Thunder members... They had a very entertaining time on Friday and a very entertaining weekend in general. Oklahoma City made a program last season, uh, ended up calling it the Thunder Legacy Network, kind of just as like a group to bring together former Thunder players, get those connections built back up and show some support for them. But due to COVID, they were not able to attend in person for anything. This year, they got their first in-person meeting, did it against the Detroit Pistons. Very fun group. Ended up getting honored in the middle of the second quarter. They went up to like the little terrace that they have for like the uh, like 405 stuff. If you've ever been to the game and they got like the hype man, that's the terrace they went to for a round of applause. Had a standing ovation from some members. Thunder players, they were clapping as well uh, to go along with it. But very cool group showed out for the game. Now, there were supposed to be 16 people that showed up. Lance Thomas and Kyle Singler decided that they were going to go and watch Duke in the Final Four. You know, you got the two options. Potentially watching Mike Krzyzewski's final game or going to the Thunder Legacy Network. You have to go to the Thunder Legacy Network, man. End up going to the Final Four game crazy stuff crazy stuff but for the other 14 they got to kind of touch base yet again and yeah it was a great assortment of guys from the inaugural 2008-2009 season you had six different players nick collison was there Stephen hill was there ninad Kristic. he went all the way from serbia to be at this event johan petro kyle weaver and chris wilcox Rounded out that unit while from the 2011-12 finals team, you not only had Collison there, but Cole Aldridge showed up, Daquan Cook was there, Lazar Hayward was there, Nazir Muhammad, and then Eric Uh, Maynard, they were in attendance. And to round it up, you had Mustafa Shakur, Reggie Williams, and Mike Wilkes. This collection, you know, it spans from Nick Collison, who is the only man in the Raptors right now, to a guy in Stephen Hill who played literally two minutes for the Thunder. He played two minutes, had two points, one game, I think one rebound to go along with it. So in terms of like per 48, this might be statistically the best Thunder player ever. Uh, And that's great because we were able to see him in person for maybe the second time in the chesapeake slash paycom center if you will now he did play for the tulsa 66ers for two seasons i believe didn't play that many minutes i think he had nine in his rookie season probably 17 in the second year only reason i know that is because i've actually looked into his story before it is uh pretty pretty cool but yeah that shows you just the range here and it shows that it doesn't matter you know for the thunder just If you're there one day or one decade, you're going to get the same level of respect. And this list is awesome to me because, you know, growing up, you had the Thunder, you had them blossoming as a team, but you also had the Tulsa 66ers. And, you know, whenever I used to go to those, you saw guys like Mustafa Shakur. He was one of the more integral pieces of the franchise when they were located in Tulsa. He was an all-star in 2008, 2009. Led them to a finals appearance, actually. They didn't win the D-League championship that year, but he was big time. And then he actually returned back in 2014 with the Oklahoma City Blue. And Reggie Williams was on that team as well. He played in the final season with the Tulsa 66ers. First two seasons with the OKC Blue. And those guys were like yin and yang. You know, they were the stars when they reconnected. Uh, in 2014 and i'm sure they had some chats you know for me i always love g league talk i love those stories so i'm very intrigued on kind of what their experiences were and even for some players that you know did have more like enhanced roles at the nba level they definitely still dipped down in the Tulsa Sixty to 66ers like cole aldridge he was the guy that they put on the programs and if there was ever signings after the game you were sure, he was going to be at the table signing, uh, you know, autographs for you all. But I thought it was cool just having all these different, like, bench guys. And Nenad, coming from Serbia, man, like, he kind of fell off the grid a little bit. You know, he played for the Celtics, had a couple other stints maybe, and then he was back overseas. And he said that, you know, he had his daughter actually in Oklahoma City. Really doesn't have any recollection of the place because – obviously you're a baby and you know two years after now you're getting traded to another team and everything so they got to see the city again and uh, he got to kind of tap back into his past and yeah everybody really got to so i think it's great they had that little moment there yesterday they had an event with big brothers big sisters which is like a non organization and it was like a little basketball clinic i saw A little snippet where Muhammad was just you know, doing all the classic knockout tricks against a kid, like just throwing the basketball at theirs, lay up right over their face to kick him out of the game. He just went the full way with it, and he got what he wanted. He eliminated the the child that was in front of him in the line. I didn't get to see the finale, though. I'm curious if he won the whole thing in terms of that little championship. I thought that was cool, though, that they... You know, brought all these guys back. I would have loved to see Kyle Singler again, man. Uh, one of my personal favorites in covering the Thunder. And maybe for some of you guys, you also share that same sentiment. But another sentiment of mine is OKC Blue Basketball has been a very good team to cover this year. Season is officially over for them now. Concluded the year 15 and 20 on the season. That places them 10th in the Western Conference. And it places them outside of the playoff race. Officially, they were eliminated from contention on Friday. The Santa Cruz Warriors, who had a 2.6% chance of making the playoffs a week ago, made that final spot. If you guys have been listening to me the last couple days, you all know that OKC has been in a brutal playoff race. Three-way tie for the seventh seed with the Memphis Hustle and the Warriors. At 6th, you had the Stockton Kings, and then you had a couple others below them. Basically, Santa Cruz had to win out their last five games, and everybody else had to lose out. They got exactly what they wanted, and now they're in. For the Stockton Kings, they had to defeat the Salt Lake City Stars Saturday night. This is the worst team in the Western Conference. And they lost by three points. So that nail-biter elevated Santa Cruz to the promised land. For OKC, they were still spectating on Saturday. They had nothing left to play for, but they had a very good run this season. Started out in the Winter Showcase Cup hot as a pistol, man. In tournament play, they went 10-5. and And for how that system worked, the tournament was exclusive to about eight teams the other 22 participated in just like two pool games you know you get a play in front of scouts you have a big a uh, bigger market i guess you'd say there were a couple espn games kind of sprinkled in the tv schedule there but it was just two normal like scrimmages almost nothing was really tied to them just ball out while you're under a microscope for the blue they were in the tournament And they were there to stay, had a major first round win against the Valley Vipers in overtime, defeated the Motor City Crews, and then they almost actually won the Winter Showcase Cup. And honestly, they could have had DJ Wilson not been signed by the Toronto Raptors the day before the game happened. They had to play without their best player through the first two months of the play And they almost got back up on their feet. They had to rely on guys like Olivier Saar and Jalen Horde a little bit. And they just could not match what Delaware had to offer. But with DJ back in January, everybody else kind of back from their 10-day contracts, they were supposed to be a playoff team. And they were supposed to be a damn good one. They were kind of teetering around like 500 for most of the regular season. But that still kept them on playoff range. And it still made them a very scary team they were 12 and 11 going into the month of march and then you had dj wilson's setback he went to the raptors ended up getting the season ending injury and now you're gone of what probably would have been a g-league all-star had they made those selections just a walking double double every single game had double digits in the double digits and 20 point games Nobody could stop him around the basket, really didn't have to shoot from three this year. Just straight paint play, was great at getting rebounds, and he really reestablished himself, and then he got the really unfortunate injury. Then OKC had to go into improv mode, that's when Horde becomes the starting center, he had to pick up Daquan Lake after his contracts got uh, shifted from the Russian VTB League, and That was kind of their main issue. You know, they prided themselves on defense really the entire season. They ranked second in defensive rating. They were top 10 in terms of steals. And then also when you look at some other stats, they were the best team in terms of denying people from the paint. You know, no one was scoring above really 50 points in the paint in most of these games. But once you weaken the forces with no DJ Wilson, no Olivier Saar, they became vulnerable. And then the offense really had to become what gave them victories. And that's not how it was prior to all the injuries that kind of came into the mix. They ended up getting some success stories late into the year. You know, Xavier Simpson looks like an all-star, had his first triple-double Thursday against Iowa. Jamias Ramsey turned out to be a very good pickup off the trade market. Muhammad gave up literally nothing it was the returning player rights to chase on randall who's not going to be returning to the g league he has a really good deal over new zealand so i probably wouldn't uh, return with him being a veteran right now but they basically got him from f- for free and he was dropping 20 plus points in most of these games horde was looking very nice and then you know you just couldn't finish it out a lot of these games were down on the wire single digits And those just could not swing their way. They finished the year out 3-9. That's what put them at 15-20. And that's what eventually knocked them out. Had they had won their final two games against the Iowa Wolves, they would have been the sixth seed. Just was not meant to be. And it's a very tough break for them. Overall the blue had a successful season They had 25 different players go in the blue uniform this year many many transactions occurred with players being sent up sent down reacquired picked off of waivers it was ridiculous um and it's very enjoyable for me because i got to pretend to be shams for a couple weeks there with some of the blue news that circulated uh but It meant that a lot of guys got an opportunity, but also you couldn't really establish that rotation. And I'm talking the starting rotation. Now, DJ Wilson was sort of that solidified starter. Whenever you saw Poku and Rowe come up to the G League level, he'd actually have to be that sixth man. But for the most part in the regular season, he was the star at the five spots. But Teo, he played a little bit in January. Poku played in January. Trey Mann had some run in December. You know, people just kind of hopping around made it a bit difficult to get that set in stone rotation. And I would say by the back end of February, you had that. One through four, you definitely had that. But you could see that as a, a reason for things not clicking because the scoring... Distribution sort of always changed. You know, you'd have a Jaworski drop a twenty piece one game, then the next game he doesn't really shoot. Edwards is a guy with twenty points. And typically that's actually going to be very good and it's gonna to lead to a lot of victories. But if you don't have the set in stone first option and second option every single game, with you know your microwave score popping off every once in a while, it can get shaky. You know, normally it was a different number one and number two every night. And Simpson I'd say became the number 1 late, Ramsey and, and I'd say Jaworski actually were probably hovering around that second option to conclude the year. But that is one way you can kind of view it. That's a way that their their offense really did take a bit of a tumble there. Looking forward though, I'm very interested to see what happens. You know, I I've been covering this team for the last two seasons and I've had an absolute blast. For me, I love the G League. I love what it's about, giving these guys opportunities, Uh, whether it's a a first chance to the NBA, a second opportunity. There's a dream in every single one of these guys, and they all have different stories, and they all are popping off. There's a new storyline or a new player every single week, and it's great to follow it. The same goes with the Oklahoma City Blue. Going into the season, there are only four returning players. You had Xavier Simpson, Rob Edwards, Jalen Horde, and Melvin Frazier Jr., Melvin is gone. He's with Iowa now. Now you're left with Xavier Simpson, Rob Edwards, and Jalen Hort. What happens with them next? I talked with Rob in January and, you know, I asked him, I was like, hey, did you consider the overseas route after the bubble? He said he considered it, you know, and that's a thing that goes through every single one of these players' minds. The G League, financially is not going to pay you enough you need to have something else bolster it whether it's a 10-day contract a two-way contract endorsement deals you got to find a way because the baseline contract is about $40,000 for a full-time athlete dedicating yourself you know hours and hours not just in these games not just in practice but on your own time that's not great money to be making overseas you can make more you can get other opportunities that could be enticing Simpson and Edwards have formed a really strong duo over these last two seasons, and I think they become hot commodities. I don't know if they stick around for a third year. Oftentimes, you'll see G League players stay two, three seasons, then make the move overseas. I'd love to see a bit more run. I think, really for Xavier, he is right there for an NBA contract. It's ridiculous how close he is, and he's been this way all season long. There was a report in January that he got signed to a 10-day contract. And, you know, even he was reporting it. It looked like it was set in stone. It got pulled away and he never got that NBA chance. The way he has performed lately, I think he does deserve that shot. And whether it's finding a different summer league team, like for example, he was with the Lakers summer league team this season. If it's worth that, checking another team that needs a point guard and going there, I'd understand it. Same goes for Rob Edwards. You know, the Blue, they have a good situation for him, but it's about that next level. What is an organization where you think you can get that call up? And, you know, with OKC getting more and more draft picks, with Overseas becoming a a bigger option, that could change their path. And it could change a lot of different people's paths on this roster. We could see an entirely different group heading into the next season. There's not going to be a Simpson. No Edwards. No DJ Wilson. Just clean slate. Relearn the team. It's how it works because, you know, let's face it. Like, the G League is meant to be a stepping stone. They want to get to that next level, and this is what the system is meant for, and that's what the beauty of it is. Look at the guys from last season. Moses Brown's on a two-way deal with the Cavs right now. He's been playing great. Omer's on a multi-year contract with the Miami Heat. Antonius Cleveland is is one of the better players in the NBL right now. Chase Sans also there. They're doing great and they're doing great overseas. There's always viable options in basketball. I hope they stay. You know, it'd be great to continue to talk about them, but whatever the best situation is for them, you have to support it. Lots of dominoes could potentially fall here. I'll be trying to keep tabs on what potential movements could be over the off season. And I'm very happy to cover the team next year. Always fun chatting about the group. And, you know, if you guys are interested uh, with the blue, make sure to throw me a follow on Twitter, at Ben Kreider. I'm always talking about the G League, whether it's just breakdowns from games, analysis, or team news. I've kind of tried tapping into that a little bit. Hit me up there. As for Thunder content, I'm also in that little grapevine Find me on Twitter if you want to see some updates on the pod side. At Thunderstick Pod is the way to go. But really appreciated everybody who's covered um, me or been on the ride with me covering the blue this season. It's been a great time, and it's been a very great team. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I'll talk to you all next time. See ya.